Hello and welcome to the RBC Broadview Campus Sermon Podcast. Our mission here is loving God, loving people and seeing lives change. At RBC, our heart is to build a Jesus-centered community to see lives changed in multiple languages and locations. We hope you enjoy this message from one of our weekend services. To find out more about us, please visit our website, rbc.org.au. Good morning, everyone. (laughs) G'day. (laughs) All right, I'll have to talk fast because we're uh, running out of time. Or maybe God wants us here for longer. Maybe he wants to do something special here. Let's be ready for whatever he has. So we're continuing on our series of Missing Peace. I've just finished reading, and I say reading in inverted commas because I actually listen to audiobooks on my way to work because I have a 40-minute drive. So I've finished reading, listening to the autobiography Spare, which is written and narrated by Prince Harry. Anyone read it? One person. I'm not going to get into a discussion on the royal family and whether they're wrong or right or whatever's been going on or how much is just one person's viewpoint because every autobiography is like that. But something that really stood out to me was when he was considering proposing to Megan. His age reminded him that because he was six in line to the throne, he had to seek the permission of the reigning monarch. In accordance with the Royal Marriages Act 1772, and the succession to the Crown Act 2013. So he had to seek his granny's permission to marry. In Harry's words, he said, love took a back seat to law and law had trumped love. And in the Gospels, we read that the Pharisees and all the other religious leaders were also focused on the law on the do's and the don'ts. The Pharisees were making laws or rules, making sure that everyone followed them at the expense of the needs of other people. They were continually watching and challenging Jesus because he always seemed to be breaking these laws. You know, he would touch a leper before he healed him and they considered a leper an unclean person. He would heal a man on the Sabbath and the Pharisees And he would tell him to pick up his mat and walk and the Pharisees didn't like that because that's considered work on a Sabbath. Or when the disciples ate the heads of grain as they walked along on the Sabbath and that was considered harvesting. The Mosaic law was intended to show man's need for God and be a guide on how to live for him. But instead, these religious leaders had made the law an end in itself based solely on self-effort and works. And Jesus challenged these religious leaders on numerous occasions. Luke 14, 5, he asked them, if one of you had a child or an ox that falls into a pit on the Sabbath, would you not immediately pull him out? Jesus' focus was on God's royal law, where love trumps man-made laws. James 2.8 says, yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law. As found in the scriptures, love your neighbour as yourself. 
This stems from the narrative in Matthew 22, verses 35 to 40. It says, one of the Pharisees, an expert in religious law, tried to trap Jesus with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Jesus had no tolerance for man-made religious laws where the focus was all on self-effort. His focus was on loving God and loving people. Now let me clarify, I say religious laws because he never disobeyed the civil laws. He didn't encourage others to disobey it either. In fact, in verse 21 of that same chapter in Matthew, when he was challenged about paying taxes, he said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. The Apostle Paul, who's the writer of the letter to the Romans, tells us, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be, are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbour as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbour. Therefore, love is the fulfilment of law. Sadly, that's not the way many people in today's culture value. They value rules over laws, rights over reconciliation, revenge over forgiveness. We live in a society where the debts must be paid, the scores must be evened, whether it be financial, favours, gifts or hospitality. And in the lead up to Christmas, this is a classic example. My sister-in-law hosted Christmas lunch last year, so I suppose I have to do it this year. Or my colleague only gave me a hanky for Christmas, so I'm not spending any more than $5 on her this year. Or my cousin hasn't spoken to me all year, so he's not getting anything from me for Christmas. Now, I know none of you think like that. But I'm sure you've all been in a situation where someone's invited you to their party, so you feel pressured to invite them to yours. Or someone's helped you move house, and so you now feel obliged to help them. Or perhaps your friend bought you an expensive gift for your birthday, so you feel the need to spend equal to or more than a gift for them. Did you know that this feeling of compulsion or necessity does not please God? 2 Corinthians 9, 7-8 tells us that God loves a cheerful giver. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Although the Apostle Paul is talking about money here, we can easily apply this to any form of giving, whether it be our time, 
our resources, our love or our money. God doesn't want us to feel compelled to give, but to do so out of love. This morning, as I said, we're continuing our series on missing peace. Chris commenced our series last week on missing global peace. And today we're going to talk about missing relational peace. Christmas can be a difficult time for some people when it comes to relational peace. It's a time when the family members get together, but for a variety of reasons, some members don't get along. It's a time when you feel compelled to put on a happy, cheerful face, but deep down you don't want to and you're wishing you weren't there. A time when you feel obliged to give gifts to people you don't particularly like or rarely see. It can be a time when you know that no matter how much time or money you do spend, whatever gift you give won't be appreciated or maybe even be complained about. It's a time when family breakups have caused children to have to alternate between parents. A time to meet up with someone who has wronged you in the past and you're struggling to forgive that person. For many of us, forgiving is one of the hardest things we'll ever do. We feel it must be earned. How many times have you heard someone say, I'll never forgive them unless they apologise or unless they change their behaviour or unless they ask for forgiveness? Or maybe they don't even add a caveat They just say, I'll never forgive them. I cringe when I hear someone say that on the news or on TV because I know that the only person they're hurting is themselves. Forgiveness isn't about how we feel or forgetting about what happened or even excusing the wrong. Studies have shown that not forgiving someone can have detrimental effects on our health. Did you know that there is a distinct correlation between unforgiveness and depression. And people who forgive have lower levels of stress and anxiety. They have higher levels of self-esteem and optimism. And it can also improve blood pressure, the immune system and sleep. About 30 years ago, someone made a hurtful comment to me and it caused me to struggle with depression for about 10 years because I harboured a resentment towards that person. During that time, I struggled with sleep. I struggled with a motivation to do anything. And my walk with God waned. It was only when I made a determined effort to draw near to God after trying almost everything else to find happiness without success. And he revealed my need to forgive that person. The depression lifted and, praise God, it hasn't returned. Despite my being, having been through many more hurtful relationships since, but I've learnt that it's just not worth hanging on to unforgiveness. Yet some of those people have hurt me very deeply. And yes, I'm a lot more cautious around them, but I've chosen to leave them in God's hands rather than go through that awful prison of depression again. When we become aware of an injustice, we have to make a choice to release that person by forgiving them. 
You know, we don't need to forgive a baby for crying and keeping us awake all night because we know that they're not being deliberately unjust or hurtful. Same with maybe someone cuts you off in traffic. We tend to forget about it fairly quickly. However, when someone's impacted us somehow, when they've disrupted our lives, particularly when it relates to our relationship with them, when we feel that they've been unfair or unjust or deliberately hurtful in their actions or words, that's when we tend to struggle to forgive. A number of years ago, I had a falling out with someone who I loved very much. And in the spirit of reconciliation, I approached them to see if we could mend the rift. During the course of that conversation, they mentioned that they could not forgive me for what they perceived had been a deliberate action on my part. I apologised and explained to them that to move past this, they needed to forgive, but they couldn't see why. I explained that God commands us to forgive, and their response was, I don't recall reading anything in the Bible about forgiveness. Where does it say that? So FYI, throughout the Bible, depending on what version you read, it's mentioned about 60 to 80 times, just for future reference. Colossians 3.13 says, Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. We've already heard that this morning, that God's done so much for us. Who are we to not forgive others? We've been forgiven by Almighty God, our Creator. When the disciple Peter came to Jesus in Matthew 18 and asked him, how many times should he forgive someone? Up to seven times? He was thinking that was being generous. And Jesus replied with not seven, but 77. Or some versions say 70 times seven. Either way, he's saying, forgive without limit. He then told a parable to further illustrate his point about forgiveness, explaining that this is what the kingdom of God is like. A servant owed his master a large sum of money. The master saw that he couldn't repay the debt. So he ordered that he be sold along with his family and everything he owned to pay the debt. The servant begged his master to give him more time to pay. The master had compassion on him, knowing that he wouldn't be able to pay. So he cancelled the debt and let him go. But that same servant then demanded a fellow servant repay him his debt. And it was very small in comparison to what he owed the master, what he'd just been forgiven. And the fellow servant begged him for more time, but the servant refused and had him thrown into prison. When the master heard about this, he was very angry and he told the servant that he should have extended the same mercy to his fellow servant as he had had extended to him. The master sent the servant to prison to be tortured until all the debts were paid. Jesus was giving a picture of the kingdom of God and he ended with, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you 
unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Matthew 6, 14 to 15 says, If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Ouch. That's pretty heavy, isn't it? If you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. That's pretty heavy. God's making it very clear that in order to live a long, healthy, happy life, we must treat others the same way that we've been treated, even though we don't deserve it. 1 John 3, 16 says, We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. Ephesians 4, 31 to 32. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behaviour. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. And Romans 12, 17 to 19. If someone does wrong to you, do not pay him back by doing wrong to him. Try to do what everyone thinks is right. Do your best to live in peace with everyone. Other versions say, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. My friends, do not try to punish others when they wrong you, but wait for God to punish them with his anger. It is written, I will punish those who do wrong. I will repay them, says the Lord. When we hand over to God, instead of taking matters into our own hands, we can be certain that we're not carrying a burden we don't need to carry, that we've done our best to live at peace with the other person. We can live free from the burden of unforgiveness and its associated side effects on our body and mind. Forgiveness doesn't replace justice. There are many there may still be actions or consequences which follow and God's way of repaying ensures the best result for all concerned. Mark Twain, the famous author, says forgiveness is the fragrance that the violet sheds on the hill that has crushed it. Forgiveness is the fragrance that the violet sheds on the hill that has crushed it. Perhaps you're missing relational peace and you're worried about how this Christmas is going to look for you. Remember, we cannot control the other person. We can only control our side of things. Here are some keys that might help you. Whether you're at fault or not, tell yourself in the spirit of relational peace, I will remember the royal law. What's the royal law? Love your neighbour as yourself. So tell yourself, I'll hand this incident over to God. Ask for God's strength to let it go and to forgive. He will give you the strength. 
Tell yourself, I will not dwell on the incident. No matter what was said or what happened, you cannot change the past. Dwelling on it, replaying it in your mind, doing the I should have said this or if only I'd said that, it's not helpful. Every time one of these thoughts comes into your mind, hand it over to God. Even if you have to do it a hundred times every day, just keep doing it. Keep handing it over. Tell yourself, I will not bring the issue up when I next face this person. Whatever they've done, avoid using it against them. Sometimes in a heated argument, we tend to bring up things that people have done previously. Try to control that urge. Again, ask God for his strength. His strength is made perfect in our weakness. Tell yourself, I will not talk about this to others. This incident is between you, the other person, and God. No one else. Telling others is not helpful to anyone. Tell yourself, I will not allow this incident to come between us or hinder our relationship. This decision rests with you. They might relay the incident to others. They might even twist the truth to make you look like the bad guy. You can't control that. And let me tell you a secret. You can't control if people like you or not, no matter what you do. So give up trying. Even Jesus was hated. As we heard before, he was despised. And he was nailed to a cross despite his innocence. So you be the bigger person and love them anyway. Remember the royal law. Love your neighbour as yourself. Place yourself in the other person's shoes. How would you feel if you were in their shoes? Try to understand where they're coming from. Learn the why behind their what. What caused them to say or behave that way? Could it have stemmed from something you said initially? Could they have felt unloved or appreciated by you in the first place? Are they going through something major in their life which is causing them to behave irrationally? Just as we know that a baby who keeps us awake at night is not intentionally trying to hurt us, maybe that person wasn't either. Christmas is a reminder to us that God loved us so much that he gave. He gave a very special gift. He gave his son willingly for one purpose, to lay down his life for us as a ransom for us. Seems to be a theme happening here today. He paid the ultimate price for this gift, his life for ours, to take the punishment that we deserved. 
He chose to forgive you for everything that you've done. He extended mercy to you even when we didn't deserve it. He chose to bear the cost of reconciliation, laying down his rights, his life, for the sake of reconciliation. He chose relational peace. That's how much he loves us. That's how much he loves you. He loves you so much that he died in your place for the sake of peace, for the sake of reconciliation, all for love. Psalm 103, 11 to 12 says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions or our sins from us. Psalm 86, 5 says, O Lord, you are so good, so ready to forgive, so full of unfailing love for all who ask for your help. That's all you need to do. Ask for his help. So in the upside-down kingdom of God, where God's love trumps man-made laws, we see that God values love over rules. God values reconciliation over rights. God values forgiveness over revenge. If you don't know Jesus personally or maybe you're feeling very distant from him at the moment or maybe you'd like to know more about forgiveness, please don't leave today without talking to Pastor Andrew or myself or one of the other leaders here. And if you would like prayer, please come and sit on the front row either during the next song or immediately afterwards and someone will pray with you. I trust that what you've heard today resonates with you, that God's love is so great. He laid down his life for you. And so the least we can do is do that for others. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your great love. We thank you that even when we didn't deserve it, you laid down your life. You paid the price for our sin. Even when we didn't know you, you still did it for us. Help us, Lord. Give us the strength to be able to Treat others the same way that you've treated us. Help us to forgive. Help us to mend relationships. Help us to find relational peace this Christmas. We thank you, Lord. We give you praise. Amen.